welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. If you're loving this podcast, we invite you to go deeper and partner with us in our work by joining the Gravity Commons, our online community of practice for connecting and learning together. As a member of the Gravity Commons, you get access to live podcast recordings with upcoming guests, as well as other opportunities to connect and learn together with us in real time. Including learning labs, member meetups, discussion boards, online courses, and our practitioner podcast. Go to gravityleadership.com slash commons to find out more. See you in the commons. Hey, everybody. Hmm. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Christy, welcome to this podcast. Matt, welcome to this podcast. Thanks. First time, first time, uh, first, first time, time first time listener. Wait, first time listener first time. and caller <laughs> and, and host. Uh, no, y'all, uh, you know, the news, uh, you guys, you guys catch the news sometimes. Mm-hmm. You it's ever heard of the news? Up right now. It's blowing Flint, up. The news is blowing up. Flint, yep. Michigan oh. still does not have drinking water. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> that news? That might be true. Isn't that crazy? Is that true? Is yes, that true? Is that true. part of the news? Goodness sakes. Um, that's not the well, big news. That's not the big news, but it is, if you live in Flint, uh, it probably is. It probably feels mm. like big news. Um, mm. no, um, we're recording this on Friday. Um, September 9th, and um, that is the day after the Queen died. The Queen of England died. Mm. Yeah. And uh, that has been occupying a lot of the news's uh, attention. Um, and I, I put this in the Friday links. Um, if, you're not, if you guys aren't uh, signed up for the Friday links, gravityleadership.com slash join. We send you an email every Friday with some cool stuff in it. So we mm-hmm. uh, join us. That'd be fun. Um, but I put this in the in the links because I, there's there's just tons of stuff on uh, the internet about uh, the Queen's death um, uh, from all kinds of different uh, angles, and I found it fascinating. One of the things that I found fascinating, I don't have a link to this tweet, so I can't uh, I can't link it and I can't uh, read it verbatim. But one of the things I, re- I resonated with it because what this guy said was for a lot of cert- certain kind of like person in the United States, a white person in the United States, white people in England, they think of the monarchy and they think of the queen in sort of fantastical or mythical terms, right? We almost like conjure up Lord of the Rings kind of images, right? That's, that's our vision of monarchy and, and the pageantry and how lovely and, you know, the BBC is putting mm-hmm. out these, you know, tributes and that kind of a thing. And I realized that is my sort of automatic, like, I don't know much about the queen, but I, that's sort of my automatic sort of sentiment about the Queen is like, oh, yes, what a quaint, what a quaint uh, interesting uh, institution they have over there. Um, but then I saw all these other kinds of links to, um, for example, like Irish, <laughs> like the Irish people are celebrating. Right, which mm. feels feels to us like a little bit of like, oh gosh, should yeah. you be doing that? But there are uh, Scottish people, um, and just realizing that, like, when you come from the underside mm. of mm. colonial power, you have a very different picture of what it means to be a monarch 
and a very different picture of what the royal family means. Mm. Um, so anyway, so I was just uh, interested in that contrast, I guess, um, mm. because this queen has been around for a long time. Yeah, 70 years. I didn't realize there was that much animosity between the yeah. Irish and, oh, and the yeah. British. Right, like, we don't. I mean, I knew there was some, but I didn't realize so, like, yeah. like dancing and selling. Like, yes. That seems so, so disrespectful. For example, it does seem disrespectful, but when you think about the history, so this is something I just learned, the potato famine in Ireland. Oh, yeah. You ever hearing oh, yeah. about that? Yep. You know why there was a potato famine? <laughs> Heard of it? <laughs> because the English shipped the potatoes out of Ireland to feed English people. Mm-hmm. There was there was plenty of food to feed all of the Irish, but the English took it. Mm-hmm. And so they have this long history of oppression, colonialism. And of course, you know, our nation is part of that. Um, so anyway, so um, mm. I remember reading this. this tw- one of the tweets was from uh, Marlena Graves, who has been on our podcast. Mm-hmm. Do you guys remember her? Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) I thought it was kind of a a funny tweet because she said, here's a quick explainer on why African-Americans, Native Americans, the Irish, the Scottish, people from the Caribbean, people in India and Africa and other parts of Asia may not hold the same view some white folk do in the U.S. or or she said the U.K. She said, I should have said England, about the queen. Here's the the explainer. It's one word. (laughs) Colonialism. (laughs) Um, So anyway, I thought that was kind of a funny funny tweet. Yes. um, I don't know. I just, I guess I just realized like, unless I was reading those voices and, and seeing some of these things that initially sort of felt like you said, Christy, disrespectful to me, I would, I like, I don't know. It just is like, it's Mm. invisible to me. Yeah. The experience of the colonized peoples and and this long history of oppression, it's pretty much invisible behind the, oh, the pageantry, you know, like it just looks nice to me. Mm. Nice Do you know what me. I noticed and when I heard the news was this odd, like I'm not from England, mm-hmm. um, but this odd sense of grief, mm-hmm. not because like I'm like a huge fan of Great Britain and like, or not because I know a lot or studied a lot about the queen, but because she represents a woman in power mm-hmm. and a woman leading and she's yeah. been consistent for 70 years. Yeah. And in the midst of all these other leaders failing and falling and and like doing really dumb things, it appears as though she has been faithful mm-hmm. and consistent. And anyway, anyway, it's just as a woman, it's interesting to me mm-hmm. that that was my response. It was really unexpected. Sure. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I'm still chewing on that. I don't yeah. know. It's complex, you um, know, it in other words, right? This is super complex and there's, you know, I don't know if that's the definition of intersectionality, but, but you know, there's, there's something of that, right? Yeah. Where she represents this colonial power, but yeah. she's also a woman. Yeah. Um, and so um, anyway, it, it's super interesting. And she has been around for a long time, like you said, 70 years. But to put that in context, I read this, I read this uh, thread of facts about what that means, Um Christy, how do you mind sharing your age? How old are you? Are you forty-two? I'm going to be forty-five. Forty-five. In like two weeks. Okay. So, if any of our listeners are forty-two, <laughs> just think about what it feels like to be forty-two. The Queen was forty-two when the Beatles released the White Album. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe that? I just was like, wait, what? Hmm. Um, wow. Like, uh, it's crazy. She had. Like thirty percent of U.S. history, the Queen was the Queen. That's wild. For thirteen U.S. presidents, she's been the Queen. 
Yeah. Th- Isn't that that's, crazy? Yeah. Yes. Anyway, so she's been around for a long time. With and I, I think one of the other things that's interesting to me about this, we got we got to get into Drew Jackson here, and this is connected to Drew's book in in uh, in a way for me. But I think uh, one of the interesting things is that we think of colonialism as ancient history, but it's not. It was no. just a couple years ago, really. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a lot of this stuff has happened very recently. And so, you know, no wonder people are still mad. Right. Um, you know what yeah. I mean? Like there, it's just, anyway, I've been thinking about a lot of this stuff. So. <sighs> yeah. Can we, tra- I, I don't know. Any other thoughts on that before we transition to Drew Jackson here? Yeah, I think there were a lot of takes on the Queen's death, but um, the one I found most profound was the one that talked about how uh, her obituary is not going to mention that she dressed exactly the same as Cam Newton. Uh, <laughs> it has a picture of her, speaking, like... Speaking of hiding facts. It has a picture yeah. of her in a blue suit with, like, a blue hat. And I just... Uh, like, it's so funny because Cam Newton is an NFL quarterback who's, I don't think, on the team right now, but he would wear the most uh, ostentatious outfits. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's just such a funny... Thing to there think are about a lot of, yes. that Cam Newton and the Queen yeah. of England had the same, uh, you know, had the same wardrobe. Yeah, the same fashion <laughs> sensibilities. Uh, that is another aspect of this. I mean, this is a complex, you know, there's, there's some grief, there's some anger, and then there's just like, like a lot of funny stuff out there <laughs> as well. Um, just like yeah. people are making really funny jokes right now. So anyway, um, I don't know. I, I how, think how, this, tell us how this fits with Drew Jackson. Though. So speaking of Cam Newton and you know, I, I don't <laughs> oh know. My goodness. No, uh, I think the way that I think about this in connection with Drew's book um, and Drew's work is that, you know, Drew's book um, is called the one we're talking about is called God Speaks Through Wombs. And it's this uh, poet. It's a it's a work of poetry. Drew's a poet. And um, it's this it's this poetic retelling of the first eight chapters of the gospel of Luke um, from the perspective of uh, liberation of marginalized and oppressed peoples. And so, um, and they, they talk about how the history of the story of the gospels has been co-opted. The story of kind of what Luke is doing has been co-opted by the powerful. And I think that drew for me represents a voice that helps us understand the perspective of marginalized peoples uh, in a really helpful way, much like, you know, the Irish responses and the, you know, uh, African-American responses to the Queen's death are helpful, you know, to me, even if they sort of offend my sensibilities a little bit initially, they're helpful to me to say, oh, okay, there's a different experience here of, you know, being on the underside of um, oppressive power. And uh, I think Drew's work is really mm-hmm. helpful uh, in that way. Um, His book is really great. I actually own yeah. it, and yeah. um, and I'm preaching on John or not John Luke seven. And I actually read like the oh, nice. the poem that he wrote that was connected yeah. to it. It was really, it was just refreshing. It's just yeah. refreshing. Yeah. So it gives a different perspective, and I yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. And he connects those marginalized voices to his own experience as a black man in America, and you know it's it's. Yeah, it's super helpful. I also love too that he does he does this through the the medium of poetry, rather mm-hmm. than I mean, it, you know, prose is fine, you know, direct, you know, kind of speech is fine, but I think there's something really remarkably powerful that happens when, uh, when it when these kinds of things mm-hmm. are spoken th- in an artistic way. Um, there's there's a chance I think it has to sort of get underneath 
um, I don't know, like it's like, it's almost like a parable, right? Where it has a chance mm-hmm. to sort of sneak past your initial defense mechanisms mm-hmm. and you know set off a grenade behind enemy lines. Yes, <laughs> if you want to think about your own mind That's in that interesting. way. Interesting, yeah. yeah. He he paints a picture with his poetry that is powerful yeah. and yeah. it sticks in your memory. Yeah. And so, um, actually, we read one. I think we read two, oh, actually, right. yeah, on yeah. this read a podcast. Poems, and, um, yeah. yeah, it's good. It is good. All right. Well, hey, that's probably good enough. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I'll mention this, too. Um, uh, just in case y'all are not on our email list, we are starting a learning community on our book, mm-hmm. Having the Mind of Christ. We just finished up that series. But it's going to be a 10-week learning community, Thursday nights at 8 p.m., Eastern time, we're going to walk through the book together in community, kind of using um, some questions to discern kind of how to get these axioms from our heads into our lives, into our bones, into our bodies. So anyway, that starts in a couple days, September 15th. We're going to run 10 weeks all the way through November 17th. Um, We'll put a link to the show notes in the show notes about it. But if you go to gravityleadership.com slash LC, you can join us. There's still time. We'd love to have you in our learning community. Mm-hmm. It'll yeah. be fun. All right. All right. I think that's it, everybody. Are we good to go? Yeah. Let's hear from Drew. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Today, we have Drew Jackson, who is the founding pastor of Hope East Village in New York City. He and his wife have twin daughters and live in Lower Manhattan. And we're talking about his book, God Speaks Through Wombs, Poems on God's Unexpected Coming. Drew, Hmm. welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Tell us, fill us in. What else do we need to know about you? Um, well, you know, we've uh, been here in New York for about uh, five years at this point. Um, and we planted a church in the East Village. I, uh, I've kind of been all over. Grew up in South Jersey, um, just across the bridge from Philly, so I have deep Philly loyalties. Um, <laughs> uh, finished high school in Atlanta and then was up in Chicago for our undergrad out to LA for seminary, Oof. back to Pennsylvania, uh, lived in the Lehigh Valley in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania for a little bit before coming to New York. Um, so it's been, it's been a little bit of a journey, um, but here we are. And uh, I write poems. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Um, did you come from like a literary background? H- how did you get into writing poetry and prose? Um, I so my mom was a she she wrote she that wasn't her main thing that she did um, but she was an artist so she she was an interior designer and so mm-hmm. um, she was always creating um, but she also was was a writer and she uh, you know like for our church right she wrote she would write all of the the church plays and things like that she she wrote poems and that was just kind of who she was and so. I definitely developed my love of words from her. Um, I would say in addition to that, I grew up loving hip hop. And so 
I'm the youngest of four boys. And so my older brother schooled me in hip hop. I just growing, you know, just <laughs> riding in the back seats of, of their cars when I was a kid and listening to all the lyricists, the, the Nas's and like Rakim's and mm. people like that. And uh, I just fell in love with wordplay and word choice and how, how they how they mm. work together. Mm. And so that that kind of developed over time. Uh, I in college was writing my own lyrics but then it's funny like I got married and jumped into full-time pastoral ministry and I stopped writing or, or all of my writing became sermon writing um, until a couple years ago when poetry found me again and uh, started started really writing in the form that I am now hmm what's uh drew what what does that look like for you like with a practice like so we, Matt and I just finished, um, you know, writing a, a book, a nonfiction book, but I, I, you know, that was like, we put the proposal out and then it's just like, okay, we got all these deadlines and we got to make sure that, you know what I mean? All this kind of stuff. But it strikes me that poetry, like a book of poetry, like you've got to be at this for a longer time. It's, it seems to me than just like, okay, I made a proposal for a book of poems and you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud about the writing process and I'm wondering if you can, uh, fill us in on that. Like, what, is, what does this look like for you? Is there a practice that you have mm-hmm. of like, I'm going to write a poem every day or I'm, uh, you know, and then, and then what's the selection like? What, what's the process like of selecting poems for a book like this? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, you're right in that um, there is a sense in which like I'm at this for a while. Although this, this particular collection didn't take me long to write, but it was... <laughs> By the time I I submitted, like I came to the publisher, my manuscript was done. So it wasn't like I came with this idea. I had the poems already. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, because so much of it, you're right, it's a practice of, for me, poetry is first and foremost a spiritual practice. And um, mm. it is, you know, coming to it. And it found me, the poetry that I'm writing now really found me at the beginning of the pandemic. And I needed something being here in Manhattan on lockdown, nowhere to go, Uh, you know, small, small apartment with, at the time, five-year-olds, two, two (laughs) five-year-olds. Yeah, poetry was, was a lifeline for me. And it wasn't just that, but it was also, and I'll I'll talk a little bit about this more later when we talk about the specifics of the book, but just with everything going on with, uh, you know, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, all that stuff sort of swirling at once. um, I felt like in that moment, I I needed some conversation partners uh, who weren't going to tell me that I was making stuff up about race in America or gaslighting me into saying that it was worse than it, you know, it's not as bad as it is. And, and so I found those companions in, uh, the gospel of Luke. And so they became conversation partners Mm. for me in the poems. And, uh, so yeah, it was this practice of just sitting with those, letting the questions that I was holding in my heart come out on the page, um, without the need to resolve them. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So just kind of sitting in that over time. Well, your book um, really goes through the first eight chapters, mm-hmm. right, of Luke. And 
is there one that stands out to you as like this one this one had my heart for a while yeah Yeah, um there's a poem there's a poem called the waters of my weeping and Mm. it's in it's in chapter three and i wrote it in reflection on this a small verse uh, luke 320 where Jesus receives the news that his cousin John has been arrested. Hmm. And yeah, this poem, this poem really, really did something to me. It was when I talk about finding, finding a conversation partner and a companion in this journey, this was one of those that I feel like really kind of exemplifies that. Um, Jesus happened Hmm. to be that conversation partner. Uh, And so I can, would you like me to, should I read it? I would like you to read it because here I want our listeners to know, like you're an amazing author, but you're, you, the way that you, um, give the prose, there's probably a word for that, (laughs) but, um, yeah, the the poem, yeah, the poem, I think, because Christy and I heard you read some of your poetry at a live event we were Mm -hmm. at together, Drew, Mm -hmm. and I think that it. You wrote it. I can't imagine someone else reading this aloud. Yeah, I think right. that's Chrissy. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, like, and actually, when I ordered your book, like the night I heard you first give your first prose, and and you like gave your poem up there, I like sat in my chair and got on Amazon, ordered your book, <laughs> and then when I started reading it, I was like, I don't even know you very well, but I was imagining your voice because my voice <laughs> didn't seem to cut it. So I'm glad that you're on the podcast. And yes, I want you to do it because I don't want to do it. Um, so if you would, if you would be willing to share um, the waters of my weeping, we would, we would love it. Yeah. The waters of my weeping. One of my brothers, my cousins, added to the number of your incarcerated masses. One in three of us. Unarmed? Yes. A threat? Yes. To your abuse of power and the way you sit so comfortably in your palace while we struggle to eat out in these streets. But in this hour, I weep. Again. For this innocent man baptized into your carceral system. Immersed into this jail with no bail. I am forced to witness this unholy sacrament. This state-sponsored religious act. And for what? Something about his person disturbed you. Maybe by passing him through these waters, you will convert him to the faith of unsacred silence. One way or another. I'm sorry that it frightens you when we fight for our humanity. But tonight, I cry. These tears have become my food. I dip myself in the pool of the waters of my weeping. For my brother. For my cousin. For all of us. Until they stop locking us. I'm yeah. snapping. I'm snapping yeah. into the microphone here. Uh, Drew, Thanks. this is something that I think I'd, I'd love to hear you talk about more. Mm-hmm. It, 
you name like the the catalyst for this book, the muse perhaps was the fear, anger, despair, rage that you were trying to process and make sense of as uh, you mentioned George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all these things are happening. And then you go to scripture, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, um, seems like a, a long way away. Mm. What did you find? And I think it's there in your poem. What did you find in scripture that helped you metabolize, process, order and make sense of some of what you were feeling? Well, there really, uh, we talk about the muse, right? There were two things that came together. So it was one, I, I sort of named it. Um, the other thing was that I was really interested in the, um, at, at church at the time, we were, we have the a practice of returning to the Psalms um, to just sit in um, as a practice, right? And so we were, we I was preaching, started to preach through book two of the Psalms. So, you know, the Psalter is, 150 chapters, five books of Psalms. And there's the, the rabbis used to talk about how the five books of the Psalms are, they, they are sort of in conversation with the five books of Torah. And they're not uh, meant to be commentaries on them, but they're in conversation with the themes of, of those books. And so as we were sitting in, in book two, I, I started to say, what, you know, what would these Psalms sound like, these poems? What would they sound like if I reread them with the backdrop of the book of Exodus. How would they sound different? How would they land differently? And I started to do that and you immediately start to see that, you know, there's a whole different understanding of things that starts to to come through when you're wrestling with and sitting with the themes of liberation. Right, God's God's liberative work in the world on behalf of the poor and oppressed, and so so when you get to uh, the first poem of Book Two of the Psalms, and you hear as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul thirsts for you, O oh God. It, it's it's more than just an individualistic cry of a of a pietistic person, right? This is a a communal cry for God's rescue right, in the midst of a dry and weary land, right? Like, you start to hear those things. And so I got curious just to, this is just something that, I don't know, happens in my mind. I'm like, what would poetry sound like if if the Gospels were to give rise to them today? Um, And so the Gospel of Luke, I was just drawn to it because of the themes that Luke is already trying to pay attention to, where he's trying to, um, in his in his telling of this narrative, center uh, the voices of those who are on the margins um, to say we need to hear these voices telling this story. So whether that's the voices of the poor, whether that's the voices of women, right? Like the Luke is very intentional about how he's telling his story, and and so um, I think that's one of the reasons because I knew that Luke was already doing that it just made sense in the time we're living in right now um, that we've been living in for a long time, but uh, to come to this gospel and to say, how can I talk to some folks who know what it feels like to live on the underside of empire, who know what it's like to uh, have a history of a people who have always been struggling underneath the foot of oppressive regimes who are trying to make sense of God in the midst of that, 
who are trying to hold on to hope in the midst of that, who, who have learned the language of lament in the midst of that, um, and who, who don't, and who I don't have to explain myself to. Right. And so that, I think it was, it was that, that I was, um, yeah, that, that just sort of was all swirling around me at that, yeah. was writing this. Hi, I'm Mac from Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, and I've been through a Gravity Leadership Academy cohort. Here's the bottom line. If you want to be discipled and learn how to make disciples, then this is for you. I serve as a pastor, and GLA has had a huge impact on me and my leadership. Not only will you find tools and resources that are highly reproducible, but you'll be connected to a group of people seeking to center their lives in the love of Jesus. If you like the Gravity Leadership Podcast and the conversations taking place here, I think you'll love going deeper in a Gravity Leadership cohort. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. I want to reflect back two things, Drew, that I that were significant for me in what you said. The first is, um, the scripture was written, most of scripture was written by people who were captive, mm-hmm. uh, conquered, or colonized. Mm-hmm. And so these people understand what it's like to write from below yeah. or from the outside mm-hmm. um, or from um, underneath. And then the second is, I think, I think I was trained formally and informally to approach the scriptures to get a better picture of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what, what you're naming is the other aspect of this is that the scriptures also want to give us, the scriptures also see us. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we know who we are better because they tell us. Yeah. And it sounds like you found people who got you mm-hmm. because they understood what it was like to be you. Mm-hmm. And that helped you connect with God better. Absolutely. Am I hearing that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think even even when we understand Jesus as not just someone who shows us what God is like, but who shows us what it means to be human, right? Mm-hmm. We we yeah, we find that. It's, and, and I mean, the scriptures say of Jesus that you know he because he knows everything that we've been through. Right. That's that's right. The Hebrews talks about him serving as our great high priest because of what he's been through, because he's been through the same things that we have. And so if I take that seriously, then I can come to the scriptures, to the gospels in particular, as I'm reading about Jesus and, and this this story. And I can not only see something of the divine of God, but I find I find myself in that company somewhere and and both to both better understand who I am as a human being. But in particular, like as you were, you know, as, as the scriptures were written from a place of being on the to use the language of the underside of history, like it mm-hmm. I always whenever whenever I'm teaching, right, I always say that it's always important to remember that. Rome did not write this text. This text was not. Mm-hmm. This text was written by those who were under Rome's foot and under Babylon's foot. 
And so that should change how we read the text. It should also cause us to ask ourselves within the larger narrative of things where what what social location do we occupy? Who are we as we come to the text? Right. Um, and I, I, I think that a lot of times one of the failures of the church in America at large, and I use that, you know, it's a broad brush to paint, but I, is that we there's been this this impulse to identify ourselves with the below rather than saying, hey, are we wrong in this? You know, um, mm -hmm. how would it how would the text change? How would our understanding and reading of it change if yeah. we saw ourselves as Rome yeah. and the gospel, the good news of the kingdom was coming to us? Um, yes. You know, but I but I say in my my intro that I'm speaking and I'm writing unashamedly as a black man navigating this right. this this yeah. context and um, bringing the the stories in that lineage with me. And so I have always, whether in direct ways and in indirect ways, been told that I have to, to sort of check that at the door when I come to reading and interpreting scripture. And, right. you know, I think the truth of it is that every single one of us has a lens through which we read and interpret scripture. We all do. Yep. It's, it's, and it's not, that's not a bad thing. It's just a thing that we can't right. help. And so mm -hmm. it becomes it becomes harmful when it's unacknowledged, when we don't yes. recognize and we just say our interpretation is the interpretation instead of a interpretation. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so that's what it was. It was just, all right, I'm gonna bring my full self to this, mm -hmm. which includes my blackness. It also includes my imagination, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah. So that's, I just sort of was like, if I just let my imagination go, because I also believe that that is part of what God has given us as an imagination, yeah. you know, where would that, where would that take me as I'm reading and writing these poems? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, how, how will I meet God in the space of the imagination? Yeah. Yeah, Drew, you, your, um, your poems uh, are, are, fairly, uh, they're related to the gospel, right? Because you're reflecting on the gospel of Luke mm -hmm. and they do sort of proclaim, they help us hear the gospel, um, which is very similar to, you know, the work of preaching mm -hmm. You're a pastor. I wonder if you could just reflect a little bit. I'm curious about the craft sort of aspect of this, of what do you see as the difference between th those things are maybe similarities yeah. between your poetry and your preaching, but what's the difference? What are the differences between writing poetry that, pro that, that maybe helps us see something of the gospel, but then also like preaching mm -hmm. the gospel, you know, to your church Sunday after Sunday. What, what are the, what's the overlap there? What are the distinctions mm -hmm. in your mind uh, between those things? Yeah, I think one of the key differences is that when you're preaching, you're always trying to make, make the text plain for people, right? You, you okay. want to make it plain. I think with poetry... It's not always the case. Um, mm -hmm. There's a sense in which in a poem, I, I'm, it's, it's like I'm not trying to obscure things, but I'm also not trying to, I don't always feel the need for explanation. I think yeah, that's the best yeah. way to put it. There's not as much of a teaching yeah. kind of element to poetry. Yeah. There's not, 
not that poems can't teach, but there's not this burden or goal exactly to, to make it teaching. Yeah, teaching. I think yeah. poems, uh, at least, and this is something that I've actually grown in in my writing of poetry um, over time, but that po- poetry, I think, is always inviting us more deeply into a question rather than providing an answer, rather than seeking to provide an answer. Mm. Um, mm. And which is also one of the reasons I think that so that there's large chunks of the Bible that are poetry that are less mm. concerned about here, this is the answer you need, but, but is an invitation to stay with the question or to stay with mm. the mystery long enough for it to transform us. Um, yeah. And that's what I think poetry is meant to do. It's hmm. always inviting us to just stay with the questions that are emerging in us um, or helping us to discover what are the questions that our souls are already asking. Um, yeah. Yeah. And to just stay there, to linger there, to not rush on. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, you know, we don't often think about Jesus as a poet, but mm-hmm. Jesus used poetic devices, especially in his parables all the time, um, whether that's the use, use of simile or metaphor or you know, at the end of his poem or his uh, parables, Jesus will say things like, "Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear." It's his. It's his way of saying, "I'm not. I'm. I. I'm offering this thing to you that seems cryptic, and I'm not going to give yeah. you an explanation. Um, you know, unless you stay with it. And and mm-hmm. and in particular, his his parable of the four soils, the parable of the sower, when he tells that that parable and he says whoever has ears to hear let him hear you see two things happen right you see the crowds who hear this leave perplexed at what he said and it and his disciples his students they come to him and they ask him the question can you help us understand some more and that's when jesus says to them to you has been given the secret of the kingdom to everyone else outside it remains in parables right mm-hmm. that there's something about the invitation to stay longer with the question rather than yeah. just to walk away frustrated with the riddle that i think poetry is always beckoning us to come and do that i think yeah. good preaching should do that <laughs> i think it yeah. far more reverts to here's the answer you need here's your yeah. your yeah. three your three steps for a better life or whatever it is yeah. um yeah. and um so I think the I, I actually found some freedom in being able to write something and not explain it all out. That was like yeah, yeah. that for me yeah. after having been writing sermons for so long. Yeah, that's really well said. Drew, your work is really good, and I'm not just saying that because you're on the podcast. Like I, <laughs> I uh, I wish I was a poet. Like I have this dream, but I'm like the roses are red, violets are blue type type person. Uh-huh. And and when somebody is gifted at that, it, it grips our hearts in ways um, mm. that I don't have language for. And so it helps me um, be able to process things and learn things and sit in things mm. like what you're talking about. And um, I follow you on social media, uh-huh. and I was surprised at my reaction. You wrote a poem after the shooting in Buffalo Mm. that I Mm. read and cried Mm. and then came back to it days later Mm. and read it again Mm. because I think my heart needed to sit in that. Mm. Um, Mm. And and 
hear how other people were processing it. Um, and I'm curious, we didn't ask you before, but I'm curious if you have that accessible and if you yeah. would even be willing to to read that poem and kind of maybe double click on it a little bit yeah. and talk about kind of what was going on in your heart and um, and how you penned those words. Yeah, so the the poem from the shooting in Buffalo, the, it's like there have been so many shootings and I've written several poems. So the Buffalo, yeah. okay. Yeah. Top's Friendly Market, Buffalo. Six letters etched on the end of a gun. Running, running. Shelves tumbling over. Spilled milk mingling with the red river flowing on the floor. Blackberries scattered all around black bodies. think the pause is appropriate. The image and the words that you use in that, um, I am sad. And I don't have, I didn't have words and you helped my heart have some words. And I just want to say thank you. I'm glad that your gift is being used in this way. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. At the risk of wording something that mm -hmm. is maybe unwordable, do I think this is one of the differences? This is how poems speak truth that didactic yeah. speech cannot. Because you capture the, the poem captures for me a photograph. I mean, I'm seeing everything you're naming. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a moment in time, but then there's movement within the moment of time. Uh, and so it's this dynamic snapshot of a moment that that is devastating and tragic and demonic and that you can't possibly explain or resolve mm -hmm. with a sentence. And so poetry, that poem, and other poems in this book, God Speaks Through Wombs, they open us up to truth we don't, truth we can't colonize. Mm. We can't fully grab it. We can't fully contain it. We can't fully, like, stuff it in a pocket, mm. use it. You know, you can't use a poem like you could use a, you know, a sermon mm -hmm. to get people really going. Mm -hmm. It just is something that opens up space in you, and then if you read it publicly in others, and then we just, it's, it's a reverent space. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the kind of truth, things like Buffalo, and, you know, you had to ask, which mass shooting are you talking about? Yeah. That's just the world we live in right now. Yeah. That, that, I don't know if we have any other speech act that can get even close to the truth that needs to be told about these things. Mm. Well, I think when you said, um, you know, it's, it, it was like a photograph. 
That, I mean, that's essentially what I was trying to do, um, is to just take a snapshot. I wasn't there, but I was there, you know? And, and so, um, and so, you know, people sometimes ask the question, is, is poetry fiction or nonfiction? Like, how do you categorize it? And it's like, right? Um, but, it, you know, I think what I really was trying to capture, um, I, don't, I don't even know, like, I come back to it and I'm like, what was I trying to capture? Uh, one of the things that I was trying to capture was just the the images of something like a grocery store where you hear things that are common and familiar the shelves the milk the the berries the right like all of these like there's just a store and i think that's part of the point it's just this everyday place that becomes a place of terror, um, in particular terror for and against black bodies, black people mm -hmm. who, who are going about everyday life at the ironically named Topps Friendly Market, right? Um, and I don't know that there's more that we can do with that than just to 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 come into the photograph of it, and sit with it, right? Um, I think that was all that was that was happening for me. It was just how do I and 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 I think like personally, it was a a practice of how do I not become numb to this? Because it is unfortunately so common. How do I not become numb? And it was like, sit with the, sit with the picture of it. Yeah, and the poem's brevity, I think, lends itself to that. Mm -hmm. Like there's just a resistance to make anything make sense, mm -hmm. to fully explain it, mm -hmm. to exhaust all the it's just like this brief snapshot that we have to sit with and I think numbness is one thing that I'm noticing I'm on this mini sabbatical and I've stopped uh, getting my news from Twitter and Facebook mm -hmm. and I actually had the thought earlier today I wonder how many mass shootings I don't know about that have mm -hmm. happened in the last four days mm -hmm. um, which is just a tragic thought to have uh, yeah. the, I mean it's a tragic reality to live in um, the other thing I was thinking about Drew is is just I have a, a friend of mine um, who put a post out about you know the the day day after the Buffalo shooting happened, um, and just how supermarkets have become something that's now a trigger. Mm -hmm. So the numbness, if it's not, doesn't numb you, then there's just increasing reactivity. Yeah. Right. So now it's it's police lights and flagpoles and mm -hmm. supermarkets, you know, and elementary schools, right? Mm -hmm. And we have all these. Churches, emblems, mosques, yeah, synagogues, all these emblems of violence. Yeah, um, yeah I, there's no question here other than maybe just gratitude, mm -hmm. because I, I think your your poetry, especially as as it connects 
our story today in the 21st century to the story of Luke, which mm-hmm. is very much concerned with the poor and mm-hmm. women and Gentiles. Mm-hmm. That um, the scripture knows what's up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it knows, like the people we meet there, they have a, they have a modicum yeah. of empathy for what we're dealing with. Mm. And, uh, and we have mothers and fathers there, and I think your poetry connects, it opens us up to that that healing and that parenting. Mm. So thank you. Mm. As I wanted to share this other one I, that I felt like sort of mm. is doing something similar. It's different, but also brief. It's in uh, it's in the book, and this is uh, it's a poem called "Who Can Forgive," and it's. Britain, it's it's from that passage where Jesus and the religious leaders are having an interaction, um, and uh, Jesus forgives uh, the man's sin, the man who's been paralyzed, um, and the religious leaders are saying amongst themselves, "Who can forgive sins except God alone?" Right, and I just for some reason that question caught me, and took me to this place um, and I was just gonna I'll, I'll read the poem to you and we, we can touch on it briefly but um, the poem has it's called Who Can Forgive and it has an epigraph before the poem begins this is a poem for the Charleston Nine in both them John Who can forgive a white man walking into our mother to shoot the roofs off black bodies. Who can forgive? A white woman, amber light hair, plain clothes, wrong home, sending bullets through a brother. Who can forgive sins except God alone? I feel like there needs to be some sort of you know when you eat sushi you have ginger that cleanses your palate you need like a you need like a ginger <laughs> oh man drew thank you. yeah yeah i guess yeah. just thank you mm-hmm. yeah. yeah um you have you have another book of poetry coming out i do in a few months right will you tell january. us a bit about that january january 10th um <clears throat> so the 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 next book next collection is called Touch the Earth, Poems on the Way. And this is finishing out the Gospel of Luke. So, um, yeah, so it's, a, it's really a continuation of this project. Um, it's different in that because there's a natural turn in Luke's Gospel at this point, there's a turn in the poetry. Um, it becomes much more about the discipleship aspect of things, right? Where uh, Jesus changes course and is headed toward Jerusalem, right? And Hmm. what does it mean to be on the way with him in that direction? Um, 
there there's a there's a lot more I would say there's a lot more of me that come that that shows up in in these poems because a lot of it is me wrestling with what does it mean for me to be on the way um yeah and and so yeah it, it's the, the 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 book is called touch the earth because it's just this whole idea of how does the what does it look like when faith touches the earth of things when it gets into the dirt when it puts on flesh when it when it's not just concept but is lived um and gets and, and is it is a part of the real rawness of being human um, mm. and so the poetry is just sort of exploring exploring that um and in conversation with all of those things so uh yeah that that's january coming january 10th yeah nice one okay i'm gonna pre-order pre- yeah. pre-ordering it friends <laughs> yeah it's one one <laughs> book of scripture down and one book of scripture down, yeah. sixty-five books go. to go, man. If you're gonna, do there the, you go. Hey, Drew, can I can I ask you a quick question yeah, yeah. before we go? I noticed uh, I was looking up that link there to your forthcoming uh, book of poetry, and I noticed that Padraig Otuma wrote the foreword. He did, dude. I was gonna ask you. Do you, you know Padraig? I do know Padraig Otuma. Okay, Padraig's right. a friend that's, of mine. Yeah. Oh, that that's so great. Uh, I was I, gonna I ask his, you uh, poetry stuff for a long time. I was gonna ask you a poem poets you liked. And I was hoping mm. you'd say Padraig, <laughs> because he's got a way of yeah. turning common things inside out yeah. with his words. Yep. And uh, Drew, your poetry reminds me of that. Mm. Yes, it does. That's a compliment. Your poetry reminds me of that. Mm. Anyway, I I don't know how you feel about this, but sometimes when I introduce friends to to authors or poets, mm-hmm. even musicians whose lyrics are just really profound, mm-hmm. I get so giddy. It's like I'm setting somebody up on a date. <laughs> yeah. You know, like making a matchmaker, you know? Yeah. And Patrick is one of those. Mm-hmm. And uh, you are too, man. I really appreciate you being with us today. Yeah. Um, taking some time. And um, if people, yep. Chrissy mentioned your socials. How can people find you out there? Yeah. Um, social, social media, Instagram, so D Jackson Poetics. You can find me. Twitter, D Jackson Poetics. Um, spend most of my time in those two places. More, more so Instagram, um, but s- slowly, slowly, uh, you know, finding myself in the Twitter world a little bit more. But <laughs> I don't know if I want to go there. <laughs> nah. Yeah. Think, think long and hard. Yeah. yeah. Pray, pray about that one. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> my my ten year old would tell you TikTok is where to be. So yeah, I, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. That's, that's one that, uh, yeah. I pray about that well, one. Well, Drew, it has been a gift. So thank you so much for being with us, for sharing your poetry and your life. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I loved this conversation. I could listen to him for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of wish... It was just recorded. I could get it on Audible instead of yeah. the real printed book because I think I, think I would enjoy is. it more. I think it oh, is. Oh, man, I guess I didn't even look at that. I should look. Well, yeah, I was just, <laughs> when I was looking up the book, I have Audible credits and it was like 
I wonder if he reads uh, the book as well on the audio recording. Oh man, I should maybe that's up. how I'll get the the touch touch the earth one mm. on Audible. Mm-hmm. So you get this All one, right. this one on Audible too. Audiobook. Yeah, let me let me check it out here, guys. Audiobook. Put, put it in the li- put it in the show notes. Well, the oh. the link to the book is already there, and so oh. if you just go to Amazon, I think it's in there. Okay. The author, the narrator is Drew Jackson. So Come yeah, he reads his own good. Poems. I like it. So that, yeah, that would be a cool way to, uh, you know, listen through this. That'd be cool. Yeah, Damn. yeah, yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask him um, wasn't really on topic for our uh, meeting, but um, I I do I do have this hunch that a lot of pastors and preachers would be helped by regularly reading and writing poetry, including myself. Gosh. And uh, I wondered, I wondered, like, what his advice would have been to like mm. people who want to get started. Because I feel like, I, I feel like I know, like, I have a, several books of poetry that I have, you know, read through and uh, come back to every once in a while. Um, but I've never really tried writing poetry, and I wonder if that would be helpful for me. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah. you know, I don't really know how to start. Besides, like, what do I, what do I do? Write down some words. I guess well, I that's he, how you he, start. <laughs> He should do a workshop and yeah, teach maybe. pastors. Yeah. Like, just a little, here's some tips. Yeah. yeah. I, I think sitting in it, like he talked about sitting in it, mm-hmm. that that in and of itself of like writing a piece of poetry on something that you're preaching yeah. mm-hmm. would help our hearts and our heads to sit in it longer. Yeah. So it seems like a, a good practice. Most deaf. Ben, I send, I send you poetry memes sometime. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's not, I mean, that's not really what I'm thinking about. That's that, not really what I'm talking about. That poem yeah. from Mornings mm-hmm. I sent you? Don't you remember that one? Poem from Mornings? What are you talking about? Would you like me to read it to you right now? Uh, sure, if you've got it accessible. Yeah. I mean, if it's, you know, PG-13, <clears throat> this podcast is not... It is. It is. It's not, it's not ben, rated R. Ben. Okay, all right. Ben, I, I don't even use Christian swears. Okay, yeah, that's I mean, true. They suck. I don't have time for that crap. Here, <laughs> here is the poem from Mornings. Mm-hmm. Coffee. Coffee. Mm. Coffee. Mm-hmm. Coffee. Mm-hmm. Everyone shut up. <laughs> Coffee. Uh, that's uh, that's beautiful. Did you yeah. see how that does? It's very mm-hmm. so. I it's it's very short, like Drew's poems. This is short. Yeah, yeah. There's some you repetition know? involved. You see, like, there's a picture. You see a photograph in your mind <laughs> of like somebody in a bathrobe about ready to lose it on their children. <laughs> right, right. Hair all messy. Mine, mine would have needed like and cream, cream, and cream. <laughs> a little bit of cream too. Asterisk, asterisk behind this coffee, coffee and cream, yeah. coffee and cream. Mm-hmm. Coffee and cream. It doesn't uh, quite have the same ring. So, no. See, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, uh, yeah, I appreciate, yeah, I appreciate, uh, I appreciate having that conversation with Drew. It was really nice. Yeah. <sighs> well, all right, friends. Feels good. Mm-hmm. Those so. real good. Real, real good. Paid in, uh, dog. Oh, hey, dog. Did I, uh, did I tell you guys what I did on my vacation? Came to Colorado. Uh, well, we did. Some poetry. We came to Colorado, and then uh, before that, we were in Vegas, and uh, went to a karaoke bar, and uh, I sang "Danger Zone" five times and got kicked out. <laughs> no, you did not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Five times, Danger Zone got kicked out. Apparently, I exceeded the maximum number of logins attempts. <laughs> I, was wait- I was waiting for you on that one, <laughs> Christy. <laughs> I'm telling you what, every single time we record these, <laughs> I'm like, I'm, s- I'm so gullible that I'm like, I know you didn't do that. You were at my house for a week. You never told me that story. <laughs> <laughs> now oh I'm going to have highway to the danger zone in my mind the rest of the day. Yes, you are. That's, the, that's yeah. my penance yes. for doing that joke. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Hey, I, I recently saw, speaking of the danger zone, real quick, I recently saw uh, online that the lyric is highway to the danger zone, not I went to the danger zone. Did you guys realize that? I, I did realize that. I've only okay. thought highway to the danger zone. You've only ever thought highway, Christy? Yeah. Did you I think went. it was I went to the danger no, zone? I, thought I always it thought it was I went. <laughs> I went to the danger zone. I went there. I mean, <laughs> highway is more poetic. <laughs> but then he never says he never says what he did there. No, he just right. says he went there, and then I guess <laughs> okay, that's about it. I know it. you got to run, Ben, but can I tell yeah. you a funny story that's similar to this uh, that my uh, eight-year-old once said? So you okay. and my eight-year-old have uh, have similar thoughts, is what I'm trying to get at. Uh, okay. So we were listening to Daft Punk's. Uh, song Lucky. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys remember that song, but it was yeah. a big hit yeah. several years ago. And the chorus goes, "We're all we're up all night to have fun. She's all all night to get some. We're up all night for good fun. We're up all night to get lucky, right?" And then yeah. Yeah. they sing that "We're up all night to get lucky" like I don't know, mm-hmm. sixty five times. And my son turns to me in the middle of the song, and he goes, <laughs> "Dad, they never say." How they're going to get lucky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sweet boy. And I was like, yeah, that's, pr- that's probably why you're able to listen to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's implied. There's an implication here. But, you know, you're like, he went to the danger zone, but he never said what happened there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obviously came back. You know, it Would wasn't you bring that a dangerous. report? It wasn't that dangerous. Anyway. Uh, all right, everybody. All right. Oh, you guys. Love you. I, I love See you, you guys. See you next time. Oh hey! I love you, Ben. Uh, I love, I you, love you too, Matt. I love I you, Christy. Love you guys, yeah. yeah, listeners, we love you too. We love we you. Love you, listeners. Yeah. All uh, six of you. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's more than that. Come on. Well, is it? <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> At this point, it's mm-hmm. down to five. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> after the after the dad joke, maybe people are like, "Okay, that's done." So. And and the right. morning poetry. Yeah. <laughs> and now. And and now we are done. Good, All right, good, peace good night, everybody. Peace. Good night. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, we'd love it if you tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Joining our Gravity community is free. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the podcast, and you can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start record button. 
You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.